Um, we're carrying on in our Acts series this morning. We're just working through Acts verse by verse, looking at the kind of church, the kind of new community uh, that Jesus calls us to be as disciples in the 21st century. Uh, this morning, it's Danny's turn to preach, but when I was with Danny earlier this week, um, he was just uh, being told by his boss that he had to work this morning, um, and so I've jumped in. Um, I'm sorry about that. I'm not Danny. I'm Steve. Um, but I said to Danny, and we, we said, Danny, please, can we at least get something inspirational from you uh, before I then jump up, jump up and, and, and pick up the passage that you might otherwise have, have preached? So let's welcome Danny together for a moment shall we on the screen okay let's get it started very good morning church uh, yes if you are watching this video is because I'm not in the church this morning voila very clever I'm supposed to be preaching this morning at the stage with you and I miss you all but I'm working today so it was not possible to me to get the day off so I'm working that's why I recorded this video I want to thank you I want to thank you all for uh, because you prayed for me last week while I was preaching uh, near to Heathrow Airport and the Crown Church. Amazing party, amazing celebration was there. Uh, they have more than 61 nationalities at the church, so they have lots of food and fun and music and colors, but more than this was a deeply morning of healing, emotional healing. So thank you for your prayers. And I wanna ask you, to open your heart this morning. Maybe you left your home this morning asking for God or asking for yourself, talking to yourself, please, I need to listen to you, God. This morning, please talk to me, speak to my heart, give me strength to face, to face the life, to take decisions so this morning can be your morning. Open your heart. We are in this profoundly uh, series of acts and today, is chapter 5. While I was reading chapter 5, I was asking for myself, what kind of person uh, do this kind of thing? They had no fear of threats. They challenged authorities. They were not worried about their own lives or their own reputations. What kind of cause? What passion is this? What kind of passion? Where do we lose our passion? So Acts chapter 5 is a key uh, word. In my opinion, I think we just have a lot. We've never have been so dissatisfied with our lives. Having a lot of fun, a lot of distractions, a lot of food, so much freedom. We can do everything. There is a lack of passion. And this morning, the Holy Spirit will speak to you about this cause uh, because the value of a cause is about the price we are willing to pay for it not the advantages that we can get for it so this morning there's three key words uh, to your heart to your spirit go stand and tell please open your heart to receive the word of god thank you for your love for affection for your prayers in jesus name god bless you this morning thank you my friends <laughs> Lord, we do uh, open our hearts this morning. Thank you. I do pray for Danny and Giovanna and the family this morning. I pray you would release him in his work. Lord, you know the call on his life and you know the part they play here with us, developing uh, as, as leaders around us. We pray for a release, uh, but we thank you for that word this morning. And uh, we pray now, speak into our hearts uh, as we take hold of all that you have for us. Amen. 
Amen. So um, let's just read from chapter 5. We'll pick up where we left off last week. There was success after the... Uh, and again, if you've not been around the last few weeks, feel free to listen again on, online. There have been some really significant and pivotal moments in Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira. And then this breakout of what we would call genuine revival. Later on in chapter 5 with healings on the streets, crowds coming into Jerusalem. What we would call a huge measure of success. And we'll pick up today... In verse 17, I'm just going to read the whole section to the end of the chapter for you because uh, it's a story, it's a narrative and we don't want to lift verses out of context. We want to get the whole story uh, of the scriptures. Um, then we're going to make some room to, to pray, to respond together, to break bread um, and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, uh, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail, they're standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles, and they did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Judas appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed. It all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in. They had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Wow, it's good in Acts, isn't it? What a passage that is. Uh, what a story this is of the emerging local church in Jerusalem. This is the thread that we're connected to even today here in the UK and in Crawley. What can we learn from this? Well, the number one thing we can learn is that success, and that's what they were seeing, doesn't always lead where we think it will. Um, we have an enemy who has schemes against the gospel and against the people of God. We think, our oh, breakthrough's here. This is brilliant. Revival's here. We're popular in the town. We're, we're seeing some power and some breakthrough. We're seeing some prosperity. Hey, maybe I've got a YouTube channel or the book deal's coming or I'm going to be on Good Morning Britain in the mornings. Hey, the devil wants to stop this. He's got schemes and plans against the purposes of God. And, of course, the Lord is using all of this for his greater purposes that we don't always have our eyes lifted to. He'd promised a disciple-making movement that would go to the ends of the earth. Here's a disciple-making movement that is currently contained just within Jerusalem. And so things like persecution, struggle, suffering will always have a pushing effect outwards on God's people. I guess in, in two directions. Either we run away. Uh, when struggle comes, like Peter did when Jesus was arrested, before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he ran. In fact, he didn't just run. He said, I don't even know who this Jesus is. That's one uh, response, one direction from struggle and suffering. The other direction we go in is to run deeper and harder into God's plans. That's what Peter does here, full of the Holy Spirit, Peter uh, version 2.0. Our question this morning is, church, where are we going to position ourselves? It's very similar in many respects uh, to the, the word I preached last week when it was my term, where we stood by the doors and we said this gospel must break outside. Again, we're saying this morning, where do we position ourselves as those in God's purposes? Let's just work through the verses for a few minutes. Verse 17, we find that the motive of, these, uh, of the religious authorities was jealousy. They were jealous of the apostles. Remember now this, this burgeoning movement, probably numbering 10,000 or more in Jerusalem, uh, coming out of their old religious traditions, beginning to follow Christ. It's a, it's a threat to the religious power structures. They're no longer going to the temple to pay for the sacrifices. They're taking their finance. They're putting it at the apostles' feet for the extension of the kingdom of Jesus. This is rattling the cage. It's a threat to the control of the religious authorities. No wonder they were jealous. Everyone's flocking now to Peter and to the apostles. And so they take these men. They put them into jail. They think we're going to stamp on this before it goes any further. They've already tried it once. We looked at that uh, in, in chapter 3. Uh, they're trying again now with a little bit more weight in the, in the boot that stamps down. And so here they are at night, and there's another one of these acts of the apostles' angelic interventions. This time it's a jailbreak. Get out of jail. Um, there are other angel, angelic angel of the Lord interventions that come later. Philip is led by an angel um, out into the uh, Gaza uh, road where he meets the Ethiopian and shares the gospel with him. The apostle Paul and Paul and Silas later on famously, we'll get there at some point um, later in the year or next year, who knows, in our study of Acts. Um, they're uh, in, a, in a cell uh, of, a, of a jail and they're broken out um, at midnight by an angel of the Lord and an earthquake. 
And here we find uh, these apostles. An angel comes in. Verse 20, and Danny picked this up on his little video. Here's the key for us. The angel opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. He didn't just open the doors. He led them out into the streets, out into safety. And watch this instruction. Angels are messengers, the Bible tells us. This angel comes not just with authority to break open locks, uh, to pick locks, but to bring a message from heaven. Here's his message, verse 20. Go, stand in the temple courts, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Go, stand, and tell. Go, stand, and tell. It's at the heart of this passage, and it's at the heart for us again, as we've been saying, if we're going to become the, the kind of disciples who can live in and develop and grow in the sort of kingdom culture that we read about in Acts and the sort of stuff that we're believing God and praying for as we push into 2020, seeing the impact of the kingdom of Jesus spreading and growing like never before. Go, stand and tell becomes very important for us. Where are we going to position ourselves? Let's deal with them one at a time. Ken, I knew you'd love a good three points this morning, although I've got a little deviation at the end. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Go. Jesus commands us to go. He commands us to follow him. He sends us with purpose. Famously, Matthew 28, the, what we call the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Go is the command to disciples in the first instance, and to disciples like us today. We're called on the same adventure, whether you're 15 and thinking, is Jesus speaking to me? Or whether you're 85 and wondering, is Jesus still speaking to me? The command to disciples of Jesus at every point along the way, your next step is always to go in the name of Jesus with the commission that he gives us. It's a, it's a movement. It's not passive. I'm not going in my mind. There is a going after God wholeheartedly that we're called to. There's a change of direction. My whole life ambition is now to be caught up in going for his kingdom cause. I would imagine in these moments of threat, these ordinary men and women disciples in Jerusalem would have wanted to run the opposite way. Um, go that way. The, the soldiers are coming. Run that way. That would be a natural response. Run away very quickly. We, we love and know, don't we, if you've been brought up in Sunday school, maybe you, you don't know the story, and I, I don't assume anything. Maybe you've heard the story of Jonah, and God says, go to a city of Nineveh, where he knows he's going to have to preach repentance to them. And Jonah goes, of course, the other way completely. Kaz and I was thinking earlier this morning as I was uh, just praying and preparing. Three, three times we've moved for the, the, cosp, the gospel, the, the call of Jesus. The first time he told us to go so clearly when we went to plant the first churches we were involved in up in the north of England. We, we'd thought God was calling us to London and to being near enough to my parents' home to come home for Sunday lunch. Uh, but God said, go to the frozen northern wastelands of Oldham in North Manchester. We didn't want to go, but we felt the call of God. And then uh, we'd always said when we first got married 25, 26 years ago, Lord, we'll serve you anywhere in the world, but we'd never go somewhere like East Grinstead. And uh, I, I hope no one from East Grinstead listens to this. Uh, after 10 years of serving the Lord in the north, he spoke so clearly, I, I want you to go and serve the team there. We said, what? You're having a laugh. I remember sitting having a meal with, uh, with my friend uh, Simon, who was leading the team uh, there at the time. In fact, Simon's just moving on now. We're praying a lot for him at the moment. And uh, Simon and Gwen said, yeah, we 
we'd like you to come and come back to back with us. Come and join us. We want someone with a bit of church planting to come and uh, come and work with us. And I said, hey, it's really nice to be asked. I thank you. That uh, you know, I'm really grateful. We, we you know, people know we're still alive in the north. But uh, I went back to uh, went back to our room that night. I said, I'm not even going to pray about it. What a terrible, what a terrible response that is. I had no desire to go, no understanding of what what the go of the gospel meant for us. Within six months, we bought and sold and moved and we were there. God made very sure that we were hearing him clearly. Here the angel reminds these disciples of their primary purpose, their primary call. Go and make disciples. So we all get to hear that command. I know in a room like this, and I'm part of that, Kaz and I as well, we, we come week by week in our confusion. We come carrying old hurts. We come injured sometimes, limping along. We come afraid. There'll be people here saying, I love this inspirational message, but I could never make disciples. I could never do that. Um, I could never go and do that for you, Lord. As though we would ever be successful in that in our own strength or ability. This was initiated by a supernatural event during the night. It might be maybe the night time uh, uh, for you at the moment. But during the night, an angel comes and breaks them out. There's nothing they did uh, to break themselves out and come into a place where they were once again going. The Lord, can, the Lord Jesus can come today. Danny said this morning, this is for you, this moment. He can break you out. He can command today every restriction, every fear, every band of limitation that you put around yourself to be broken off and for God's purposes for you to be realized again. His intention for us as disciples is to break outside uh, so where, where we can go and tell. And if you're trapped today, he can break you free. He can lead you out into his purposes for your life and remind you that he's with you in his strength and his power. That's good news, isn't it? Any, anyone other than me responding to that message this morning? Thank you. Yeah, okay, there's a few of us. Well done. Jesus comes to break us out. Uh, listen, we started that way when we were born again in the, in the first place. Uh, Tina sang that beautiful kind of prophetic scripture song this morning. He called me out. He called me out of the pit. Um, nothing of my own strength. He made me alive. It was totally his initiative. I, I repented. I turned from my old life. I, I, it was my privilege to get up and go with him in a new direction. That's what happened when I first came to him. So w- we started out that way. What are we doing inside now? What are we doing locked in? We're crying out, God, help us. Come and do something again that breaks us out in our weakness that we might continue as a going people. Divine intervention, the angel coming, Human obedience. Go, stand, and tell. They could have run back to their beds. They could have, hey, we've got to get out of jail pass. I'm running out of here. I'm going into exile for a while. No, divine intervention comes with human obedience. God has given us, you and I, an assignment. So we need an encounter with Jesus that wakes us up from our slumber. But then as he breaks us out, we take hold and we go and we respond. Don't you love the story of the paralyzed man? He's lowered through the roof to the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And he says, roll up your mat. Get up and walk out of here. What does the man do? He could have stayed there. No, he, he gets up. He goes. He's obedient. I love the, the men on the road to Emmaus. They've encountered Jesus. Their eyes have been opened. They were full of disappointment. Uh, and Jesus goes from them. Uh, and having encountered Jesus, they have to go back to the city to tell their friends in Jerusalem, Jesus is alive. An encounter with Jesus. That's why we gather and worship and sing these songs of an exalted, risen Christ. When we encounter him, we have to go out with the good news. We can't keep it to ourselves. Go. 
Number two, stand. Um, it's easy to stand when everyone is cheering you. T- tomorrow morning, you don't hear this often in church, tomorrow morning I will be racing Mo Farah. There you go. Or in fact, let's put it this way. Tomorrow morning, Mo Farrell will be racing me. <laughs> I'm not quite so sure he's aware of that. But we will be on the same start line in the London 10K. Cassie's racing him too. So is Jude. We're going to give him a run for his money. And uh, in my head, I've got it all worked out. I'm going to take him down the mall at the end <laughs> and maybe just dip on the line. In reality, I could probably run about 100 meters alongside him at my full pace. And then he would leave me in the dust. It's going to be easy tomorrow to keep going, to persevere, to stand, to run. Because not only will Mo Farah and 15,000 runners be running 10K in London, but there'll be thousands lining the streets, shouting our names, cheering us on, saying, keep going, uh, celebrating as we cross the line. It's easy when the crowds are cheering you. What about when you're being obedient to your call, when you're persevering in the face of, of fierce opposition? What about tomorrow if people, instead of cheering, were throwing stuff at us, were getting in the way, were putting obstacles? I think I'd give up pretty quickly. I mean, if it rains tomorrow, I'll think about not turning up at the start line. It doesn't take much to knock us off our course. Disciples, we are called to stand and to stand our ground. This is military language here in the, in the scriptures. The old days of hand-to-hand combat, the Viking days or the Roman days that Paul was writing into. If you lose your footing in battle, you're a dead man. Okay, One slip and you're down, you're gone, you're trampled underfoot. I was reading earlier uh, this week uh, the, the, some of the stunning stories of the mighty men and women of God in, in uh, 1 and 2 Samuel. And uh, 2 Samuel 23, Shammah, the, uh, the, the warrior uh, who, when the rest of the army of Israel fled in the face of the Philistines, it says, 2 Samuel 2.23, that Shammah took his stand in a field of lentils. If, if I'm going to go down fighting in a blaze of glory somewhere, I don't want it to be connected with lentils. Um, but thankfully, as Shammah stood there, um, overwhelming odds, Philistines surrounding him, his own comrades having run away in fear, he had something in his spirit that said, I'm going to be obedient and see what the Lord will do. And it says in 2 Samuel 23, the Lord brought about a great victory. He says to disciples everywhere, stand. Daniel 3 uh, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar, they're in exile. He says, you bow down to this image of me. They say, there's no other God uh, but Yahweh. We won't bow to another God. He says, if you don't bow to the statue of me, I'm putting you in the furnace. And they standing by the furnace, captive to this uh, king. If you put us in the fire, our God will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, He's worthy of our worship and we will not bow down. Stand is what we're called to. He's worth dying for. Of course, in the, in the story, uh, they're thrown into the furnace. The king's so enraged, he turns it up on the thermostat seven times hotter. Even the soldiers throwing them into the furnace are burned to death. And the king and his officials are looking into the furnace and they see not three men, but four men walking in the fire. I believe Jesus himself came and stood with them. The Jesus who says to us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I won't leave you alone as orphans. I won't let you be ravaged by the fires of the enemy attacks. I will be with you. And friends, God doesn't always send an angel to break us out of jail. He doesn't, we don't always find a fourth man in the fire to rescue us. But he does tell us to stand to stand for his purposes. That's really impacting my... Anyone, any, God speaking to anyone else this morning? It's really impacting my spirit right now. Oh, we're so caught up with this good news about Jesus. We'll go obediently wherever he sends us. We'll stand firm in our assignments. We won't wobble off to the right or the left. 
until we see the victory he promises. Field of lentils, fiery furnace in a foreign land, Crawley and the assignment God's given you here. God's going to bring victory or we're going to die standing. That's what disciples of Jesus Christ live for. Either way, he loves our obedience to his command and he is totally worth it. Wow. It puts a broader understanding of what we call worship, I think, (laughs) at that point. I thought worship was singing a song or two on Sunday. No, it's standing in the fire, knowing Jesus might take me now, but he's going to receive it as worship. We need to understand what it is to go. Uh, We do understand what it is to go. We need to understand what it is to stand. I think here we're talking, aren't we, about perseverance, about faithfulness uh, in prayer, about loving one another, about standing in integrity. Certainly for us in this generation, standing with a clear uh, commitment to the gospel without watering it down. All kinds of voices today that will say to us at, at school, at college, at uni, in your workplace, your neighbors and friends, even your own family members, you can't really believe that in the 21st century in the UK, can you? Standing means we still believe the gospel as it's written in the word of God. Standing means we continue to stand in care for the poor and the outsider and the alien. It means we stand up for righteousness prophetically and in action. It means we stand up for stewardship and care of our planet. These are things we stand and fight in. This is our battleground for disciples in Crawley today. The Bible tells us it may, uh, attack may come physically through people, but our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Uh, demonic spirits that would discourage us, um, that would cause us to be overcome with the task at hand, that would cause us to be overrun with fear in our particular field of lentils and in the face of such opposition to run away. Disciples, Jesus says, stand, keep standing. Ephesians 6, that beautiful passage about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, Paul says, after you've put all that on, do you remember what he says? He says, stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand firm. Next sentence, stand then. In one sentence, we're told to stand three times. I hope we get the message this morning. There's something we've got to learn about standing, church, in this era, in this next phase. Chris is right to say, prophetically, we're sensing God breaking us out into something newer. We're seeing some little signs, some new shoots. It's a wonderful thing. We're grateful to God. Disciples, we must keep standing. We've got to learn in the, to pray in the Spirit, a new kind of battling prayer that will help us to stand, to dig into our foundations in Christ, to hold our ground for us and for others that will come through behind us. I'm excited about June the 9th, not, not only because on June the 10th, I have the privilege of, with Cassie, beginning a sabbatical, but it, we have an evening meeting as well as a morning meeting that evening. It's our second Sunday of the month, and probably, if we carry on going through Acts as we are, we'll be looking at the section for a few minutes that evening on Stephen being stoned and the church being scattered. And that We see around the world today, I mean, Ben's had us praying in the Islamic world over the last few weeks through the month of, of Ramadan. So much persecution. So much heightened tension. So many believers under pressure, even fear for their very lives. We're, we're praying. We'll pray that night um, that God would help believers around the world and ordinary men and women like you and me to stand firm in obedience to the gospel. Stand, uh, go, stand, and tell was our third one. Tell. We have a, a simple message to tell. Our message hasn't changed. 
Uh, in this story, the, the opponents of the gospel, they recognized it. They were very clear on it. Verse 28, we've ordered you to be quiet about Jesus. All kinds of things we can talk about. I'm excited when I talk to one of my neighbors or I, I spoke to someone at the running club on Monday night about church. It was great. It was a good first step. But it's wonderful when we actually talk about Jesus, when we actually say his name. Here in verse 28, we've ordered you to be quiet about Jesus. Can you imagine a church? Can you imagine the churches around Crawley, the thousands of us that preach the gospel, if we were scattered around the town and every day we were talking animatedly about Jesus Christ? I wonder what would happen in the town. Well, I think some lives would change in a moment. They say you've continued to fill the city with your teaching. Okay, it may be exaggeration uh, on their part, but there's a very real sense that everybody seems to, wherever I go, whatever I hear about, this name of Jesus is being mentioned. Later on, Paul puts it brilliantly when he was in Corinth. He said, 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What is it that we tell? It's this message of Jesus. And, And friends, any one of us can tell this message of Jesus. We can all go and we can all stand. But unless we bravely open our mouths, people don't know why we live with the hope that we have unless we tell them about Jesus. Disciples are a people of words. We have a message. It's good news. It's joyfully proclaimed, even through hardship. In fact, through hardship, it's even more uh, beautifully seen. Paul says to the church in Rome, how will they know unless we tell them? We have to open our mouths. We go, we stand, and we tell. One of the beautiful things about our our Tea at Revive uh, events, uh, once a fortnight, we meet at our Revive Cafe in town, and we gather a group of 20 or more, uh, mainly unchurched, over 65s, and we're giving them, uh, they're having a, a cup of tea and a piece of cake with us and the team. We have beautiful conversations. We talk about the old days and the present days. Um, there are people who are lonely, isolated, frightened, in pain, bereaved, and every, every time we meet, uh, we get to talk about Jesus. Every time we meet, Mark stands up, prays a beautiful prayer of blessing over them. Do you know what they do when they hear the name of Jesus, when they receive a prayer, even as not yet believers? Every single time Mark prays, they applaud afterwards. People love the name of Jesus. But we're people who don't just offer tea and cake. We offer words about Jesus Christ. We offer hope that he brings. We are a telling, proclaiming people. And these are simple words. If you want to know what goes into my gospel proclamation, well, here in verses 29 to 32, we have them. One of the joys, we've said this many times already, of preaching through Acts is that we get to learn how to share the gospel. There are loads of examples of people proclaiming the good news about Jesus. We get to study it. We're a people who are saying through the next year or so, we want to have the privilege of sharing the gospel as a church community with more people than we've ever done before. How do I become that kind of man? How do I move from where I am now with my bands of restriction and fear to the kind of person that can share the gospel with people around me in my life. Well, one of the ways we can do is just keep studying passages like this. Get, get confident with these words. Get them into you so you can tell anyone in the moment. What are the headlines from verses 39, 29 to 32? Well, here's what the kind of stuff that Peter says. Uh, and this would do in, in any conversation about the gospel. Jesus died on the cross because of your sin. God raised him to life. He's ascended to heaven as Lord and Savior. He calls us to repent of our sins. And he offers us forgiveness as we repent, as we turn away. And we've seen him. 
That's what the apostles could say. We, we're with him. We've seen him. and we, we can say we've met him. He's revealed himself to us. And the same Holy Spirit who's done that will fill you too as you obey him. That's not a bad gospel presentation there that we can learn uh, and get into our lives. We're in an age where we must know the truth and share the truth. It's a real simple message. Maybe today your very first step is to say, actually, I haven't responded to that, that message. Maybe today you need to say, Jesus, if you're calling me to repent, to turn from my sins and to obediently follow you for the first time, that's my next step today. I'm ready to do that. When we break bread in a moment, we'd love to pray with you and help you take those steps. Maybe for many of us here today, our next step may be to learn some of these gospel words, to pray them. Maybe it's to go home and teach them to our children day after day. Maybe it's to talk about them with our teenagers. Maybe it's to begin rejoicing and sharing our stories with those around us to go tell the world of what Jesus has done. Go, stand, and tell. Let me wrap up as we come to break bread. Are you still with me this morning? Good, okay. I know it's bank holiday, but uh, these are important words, aren't they? There's some prophetic wisdom from uh, Gamaliel, uh, verses 33 to 40. I don't think he knows he's prophesying. Um, he's, he's not a Christ follower. Um, in fact, he's against the people of God. Uh, but he uh, has a wisdom in this moment from God that protects this emergent uh, movement. Um, you can't stand against God, he says. This is, this is God's movement. Um, we see from Acts and from church history, persecution is the trigger that God uses to push his people out of comfort and to the ends of the earth. In, in a, in a, in a, over the next few weeks in Acts, we're going to hit the tipping point of struggle and suffering and persecution Oh, but boy, what emerges is a scattering and a multiplying that is completely on the heart of, of God. It's still how God does things today. It's how he gets people to move. He unsettles us. Um, he shuts things down when we think they're successful. He moves people on. He breaks things up. He stops us in our tracks. When we're, again, knowing Chris and Nick's story, thinking they're in Turin for a longer season than they were. I mean, God seems to shut the door. Uh, and we think, what's that all about? But he's, he's got a plan to bring them here with their family and, and an assignment here in the meantime that they had no idea about if they were just running on this track. That's what God does. He unsettles. Uh, he blocks. Uh, he shuts things down. He even allows things to be broken up. Sometimes when these kinds of things are going on, and particularly with persecution, we blame the devil. And we are right to uh, put the, the, the cause at his door. He has schemes that we stand against. We resist them. Any scheme of the enemy, we fight against until he flees. And the Bible says he will flee. But we're also aware that God is at work with a much bigger picture. And so when he's working in our lives, even when it's uncomfortable, we submit to him. Uh, we thank him through gritted teeth for his discipline because he's a father who loves us and he's changing us. He's making us different men and women. We do what the scripture says. We, we humble ourselves before the Lord, knowing that in due time he'll lift us up. We agree with the scriptures that say, oh, Lord, there's pain in the night, but you've promised joy that comes in the morning. We, we keep on trusting. We keep on singing, uh, no matter what we see right in front of our faces, because he promises strength will rise in us as we wait on the Lord. We won't always walk and be faint. We won't always run and grow weary, but we will one day again rise up on eagles' wings in his purposes. I don't know why we're afraid sometimes to get up and go and stand and tell when God has started this. He's initiated it. It's his call, his movement, his kingdom. And there are all kinds of strategies and opposition that come against it, but his kingdom will prevail and it can't be overthrown and he invites us into it. Finally, in the last couple of verses we read, verse 40 to 42, 
These guys weren't put to death. It's remarkable. That was their clear plan. Uh, and later on, those kinds of things do happen. They were only flogged. I mean, they were given a beating, a terrible beating that would kill uh, many men and often did. And they were ordered not to speak about Jesus again. You're filling this city with your talk. We're going to gag you, put a banning order on you. What's their response here? They've been told by the angel, the heavenly messenger, go, stand, and tell. They've been told by the courts, we've beaten you, and you shut your mouths now. Otherwise, we're coming for you, and we're coming for your people. They do the very opposite to what they've been told. They must obey God and not man. Instead, uh, this is remarkable. It can only be a people full of the Holy Spirit. They increase their pace. They go all the more. They say, in the time we have, Lord, we're going to run after you and your greater prize. They stand firmer. They shout louder day after day, never stopping proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ, not only in the temple courts in their public meetings, but from house to house as well, and they do it with rejoicing. Whoa! I, 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 can un, I can recognize what my response would be to that kind of pressure. Go away and shut your mouth. Um, I, I don't think my response would be one of rejoicing. I, I know often my response to pressure is like the people of Israel that, that uh, Moses had brought out of the promised land. God opens the Red Sea. They go through um, and, and uh, brought out of Egypt, sorry. Their enemies are killed behind them. They're now in the desert on their way to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And after just a few days, uh, with these victories still fresh in their mind, with the breakthrough of God still alive in their hearts, they're saying to Moses, with grumbling mouths and hearts, you brought us into this desert to die. That's my response to pressure. You've brought us out here to die. James says, consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's what Paul and Silas were doing when they, I mentioned earlier, when they were singing hymns at midnight in jail at the top of their voices. So this is the response that disciples come to. We shouldn't be surprised at their response to suffering. Jesus said we'd be, we, we would suffer with him. He said we'd be hated because of him. We came in on a ticket when we got born again, which said, take up your cross and follow me. Die to your old life. Live for a greater cause. We've gone down into the grave in our baptism. We've come up into new life with Jesus Christ. We're going to live with him forever one day. He's, he's promised to be with us. He's promised the spirit of, of joy not a spirit of heaviness or despair. He's told us in his presence there's fullness of joy. David prophesied in Psalm 34 when he's being chased by uh, King Saul for his life and chased by the Philistines for his life. And David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who finds refuge in him. Jesus said in John 16, 20 to his disciples, people like you and me, your weeping will turn to joy and no one will take your joy from you. Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. No wonder they rejoiced. This is the logic of true disciples. We want to get this logic in us, friends. Here's, here's how they process. They say, Jesus said, this is what we face in his name. He faced it. 
If we're facing it now, it's a sure sign that we are his. We belong to him. So I'm going to wipe my tears. I'm going to bind up my wounds. I'm going to get up and I'm going to rejoice because whatever happens tomorrow, there's a greater joy and a greater reward and a greater prize that nobody can take away from me. There's an inheritance for me that will never perish, spoil or fade that's being kept in heaven for me. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to stand and I'm going to tell again with joy and no one's going to close my mouth. That's how disciples respond. I think that's why our friends from places like Zimbabwe and Zambia, some of the guys we're meeting in Brazil, that seem to be in such hardship. But they have such joyful worship because they've caught something of what it means to have the logic of a disciple. Day after day, they never stopped. House to house, public meetings, teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They're just obedient disciples, full of the Holy Spirit. Look around you. Ordinary disciples, full of the Holy Spirit, with the same potential and possibility. Jesus speaks to us today, fills us with his spirit of power today. Whatever the world tells us, whatever enemies throw at us, go in my name, stand in my name, speak in my name. He calls us to go home and be disciples. Can we stand? We'll come around the table in a moment. Wow. Lord Jesus, we need you. We love to be inspired by the scriptures, but we can't live this in our own strength. (laughs) We don't have the ability, the capability. We're the first sort of disciples that run away. We're the kind of people of God that grumble in the desert. So we need you to do something in us in order that we might be the kind of men and women that you call us to be. Come again, Holy Spirit, as we eat this meal now together, as we drink uh, this wine and eat this bread, we uh, representing your body broken and your blood spilled, would you fill us with your resurrection life? Would you flood us with your spirit as we pray together? Would you do something in us that that breaks the bands of restriction around us and and causes us to be the the kind of disciples that we've been reading about today? Would you help us this week? Give us some steps even this week. Hallelujah. Just as I said earlier, there just may be one or two here who for the very first time are saying, actually, I need to respond to the gospel. If that's you this morning, you're so welcome to come to the table and to take and eat. If you're doing that, it means that you're, uh, you're putting yourself in the purposes and the promises of Jesus Christ. Please let us know you're doing that for the first time. For the rest of you as disciples of Jesus, come. Ian, come and play something beautiful. Um, come to the table. Come and get strengthened by God. Uh, and then go away and stand wherever he's planted you.